morning, Southwest. I have a, uh, a great privilege of introducing to you uh, a friend and a colleague. Dr. Stacy Ingram is a professor of exercise physiology. She was at the University of Minnesota for a number of years and then felt God's call to Christian higher education, where she and I were on the faculty at Crown College, where she oversees the human performance lab. I would strongly encourage you to listen intently to her story. It's powerful, it's unforgettable, and it points to Jesus, which is the best part. So please join me with a Southwest welcome, Dr. Stacey Ingram. Well, good morning. Um, I have about 45 minutes to cram into a short time, so bear with me. We're probably going to go a little long today. All right, I've been given permission. Um, the story I have to tell you is about resiliency. Can I move this? I don't want to trip over it. So, if we frame things by seasons, we all know what winter looks like here in Minnesota, right? We rarely have spring, but let's just assume we may have spring. And spring is a time for growth and new beginnings. When we think about summer, summer is our longest days and our most production. We get all the energy we can from the sun, and we are very, very productive during that time. And then comes fall with all the colors, but the colors are actually indicating rest is on its way. The colors represent dying. And then, like I said, we're all aware of winter, but the reality with winter is all of us need seasons of winter where we can step back, we can do things that get us restored to start the cycle over again. So I'm gonna talk about adversity just a little bit. Um, it's relative to one's life's experiences. So my daughter comes out of elementary school when she was in second grade. She's a junior in college now. But in second grade, she comes out and she tells me that she, oops, sorry, that uh, it was the worst day of her life. And I'm thinking for a second grader, how bad could it be? I said, well, what happened? She said, well, you forgot to pack a snack for me. I'm thinking, tragic. Okay, but I don't respond to her like that. I say simply, well, what did you do? Well, I went to the teacher and I told her I didn't have a snack and she provided a snack for me. And I thought, great, she's got survival skills. I said, what was the other thing? She said, you forgot to pack my gym shoes. Now, remember, this is a second grader who hasn't faced much adversity and this was the worst day of her life at this point. I said, well, what did you do? The gym teacher let me do gym in my socks. Again, I thought, great, she wasn't sitting on the side pouting or crying. She's a survivalist. She knows how to work when things don't work well for her. Another adversity, which you wouldn't feel the least bit sorry for, but we were in Hawaii over Christmas, and I lost my prescription Maui Jim sunglasses in the Pacific Ocean. And now there's some turtle out there sporting some really cool shades. That was a $500 loss. That was kind of a big deal. But in the scheme of things, you don't feel bad because I was in Hawaii. Recently in Alabama, they had a tornado come through. Adversity is non-discriminate. You will have adversity in your life. Maybe you're dealing with adversity. But at the end of the day, it's relative to your life's experiences. So I'm going to talk about... Well, first of all, one of the things out of a research project that came out is the best ways to survive adversity is your sense of humor 
and faith. So we're going to look through, um, this is just a little bit about the repercussions of adversity. Sometimes it results in depression. Depression is the flaw in love. To be creatures who love, we must be creatures who can despair at what we lose, and depression is the mechanism. And if you go over to the end here, love forsakes us from time to time, and we forsake love. In depression, the meaninglessness of every enterprise and every emotion, the meaninglessness of life itself becomes self-evident. The only feeling left in this loveless state is insignificant. And can I tell you, if you wake up feeling insignificant, we're going to change that thought process today. One of the saddest stories I've had, I just added this to my slides this week. Kelly Caitlin. She went to school with my kids. She was a stand partner with my son in high school. She was an Olympic medalist. She was at Stanford University working on a graduate degree on computational mathematical, mathematical engineering. Brilliant kid. But you know what? She suffered a concussion two months ago. And in her belief system, that just added to what her parents described as she embraced nihilism, which is the rejection of all religious and moral principles and the belief that life is meaningless. She took her own life at age 23. You don't ever want life to be meaningless. So I'll tell you another story about a different family. This is a World War II family, typical family back in the late 50s. And this is that family nine years later. This would be the last photo of the entire family together. Because in December of that year, keep pointing the wrong way, the mom was brutally murdered with an ax. An intruder came into the home and murdered the mother. There were four kids in the home at that time. Two of the oldest kids of the four youngest kids heard everything that happened. There was a doorbell ringing. The dog was barking. This is in the middle of the night. The mom answers the door, and the gentleman at the door says to her, your husband has been in a car accident. And she immediately said, well, why didn't you call? So you knew that she knew the person at the door. The next thing you knew, the mother was screaming as she was running towards the kitchen away from the bedrooms with a man chasing her with an ax, striking her. Of the two older of the youngest girls, the youngest one went to the doorway to help her mom. She heard her screams and she wanted to help her mom. But then her sister that was in the same bedroom said, no, come back to bed. So she came back to bed and she laid in that bed in a state of shock, not being able to move, not being able to scream, not knowing whether to climb out the window, just paralyzed in fear. So this, whoops, I'm sorry, I keep doing this. This is the one that witnessed the murder. And she described the assailant as best as she could remember. When the police officer and her dad came into her bedroom that night, the first thing the girl said getting out of bed was, has that man left yet? And so the girl was the only eyewitness to this crime. And again, they had plenty of evidence that went to the FBI labs in Washington, D.C. Hair, bloodstains, fingerprints all went to the FBI labs. Well, one thing that was interesting about this case was they didn't have a suspect. 
So in February of that year, detectives from that state came out and questioned the little girl again. And they hold her up in a hotel room for over six hours. And as the story didn't change toward the end of the questioning, towards the end of six hours, the police officer and the detectives asked her, do you love your dad? And the little girl said, yes. Did you know your dad's gonna marry another woman? Now, what does that mean to a little girl who's already lost her mom? They ask again, do you love your dad? And the answer was yes. Next question, did you know your dad is a sick man? The girl had no idea what that meant. She said no. Again, do you love your dad? Yes. Would you like to get help for your dad? Yes. Just tell us that he killed your mom and we'll get help for him. So at that moment, the little girl's story changed. It changed believing that she was gonna be able to get help for her dad who had some unknown illness. He was immediately arrested. He denies the slaying of his wife, but he admits he was having an affair. The child testifies in the court of law that her dad killed her mom. Now, when her dad originally told all the kids that their mom had died, he said his words were, God has taken your mom home to be with him. And she hated God at that minute. How could God possibly need my mom more than I do? Well, I'm the nine-year-old. I witnessed the brutal beating of my mom when I was nine years old. I was part of a corruption scheme that put my dad in prison. During the trial, there were so many things that went on. They actually had the Boston Strangler psychiatrist at the trial. They wanted to question me, why had my story changed? But the judge denied access to me. They put the death penalty on the table for my dad for a crime he did not commit. He was found guilty of second degree murder, which doesn't even fit the crime, which shows you how much wrong w w was happening with this case. My dad was sentenced to 20 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. We were moved to live with an aunt and uncle and their two kids. And it was a house that was void of love. We never talked about my mom. We never talked about the case. It was like my parents didn't even exist. And so, again, my dad basically came to grips with and said he was convicted of adultery, not murder. He got paroled when I was a junior in high school on good behavior. He sent a de private detective out to question me. And as a junior in high school, it was the first time I could tell the truth of what happened since the trial. Can you imagine living with that lie for that many years and having your dad in prison for it? My dad constantly tried to work on getting this case into trial. There were many opportunities that we thought we were gonna have to do this. My dad held no, no anger towards me whatsoever because he knew I had been manipulated. 2009, I saw a case on TV, 60 Minutes, where a wrongful conviction had happened and they un overturned the verdict because of DNA. So I contacted this attorney. And this is what happened. I've been, I've been involved uh, in several high-profile cases involving the police running roughshod over the evidence in search of a conviction rather than a search for truth. 
This appears to be the situation here. It seems to me that although circumstances beyond your control may never allow you to prove scientifically that your father was innocent, it is still obvious. In fact, according to Mr. Long, years ago, the Petersburg police virtually admitted to him they had a wrongful conviction. And then following down, at this time, we are closing our file in this case. I regret that we were un unable to find any physical evidence or even a way to gather physical evidence to bring this case to a proper close. I hope that you find comfort in knowing that you did all that you could do to get to the truth, but through no fault of anyone's, it just appears to be out of the grass. I chased this for a long time because I wanted to prove my dad's innocence. I figured I owed him that. This is the man that killed my mom who lived a life outside of prison and has since deceased. This is the exact description of the person I gave to them. I actually wrote an editorial that was published in a Virginia newspaper this past December, December 19th. It was the 50th anniversary of my mom's death. And my editorial was basically challenging the police department to get it right, because when they get it wrong, it affects lives. The Simpson children face a horrific double loss. To have your own father charged with the death of your mother shatters a child's faith in the world. Here was my world. I didn't trust anybody, and I hated God. Can you imagine living in a home where there's no love and you don't trust anyone? But here's the reality. When my mom was killed, people started praying for me, and they prayed for me continuously. And I was really fortunate for their prayers. I ended up being a very successful musician, getting a music scholarship to college. But I also became a very successful runner for the University of Northern Iowa. And the cool thing about this was, in the spring of my freshman year in college, I won the 10,000 meters at an interstate collegiate meet. As a freshman, you're not supposed to win that. My team was elated, we were coming back on the bus, and all I could think about is, there's more to life than winning. There's gotta be more to life. So what did I do? I got home and I called an athletic trainer who had treated me for a severely sprained ankle. I called her down to my room. She comes down and we talk about a lot of things, my race, et cetera, and then she finally said, why did you need me? It doesn't appear you have an injury. She had stood out in me in such a way, an average person, Nothing remarkable about her, but the way she carried herself. My comment immediately was, what do you have that I don't have? And it was Jesus Christ. And she told me about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And I prayed that night to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, and he took over my life from that minute forward. I was able to have success on a large scale. I just missed qualifying for the Olympic trials. But we set a world record in a relay team, and we were going to do it the following year. And so I basically you know, said, all right, we're going to get the best team possible. So we did, but I realized we needed an alternate in case somebody got sick. And so I asked this person right here, Stacy Miller, if she would be our alternate on the relay. And she said, I will as long as I don't have to do it. Well, what was interesting is I had just qualified for the Mid-America Championships on a Saturday, and that Wednesday, our track coach gave me a scholarship for the following year. I went on, out on a run, of course, to celebrate. And during my run, I was hit by a car, and it ended my entire 
collegiate career. I was projected to be an All-American in the fall, and all of that in that moment was stripped from me. But here's the reality. I laid on the pavement hearing the ambulance come, and all I could think about was Isaiah 40, 31, those that wait upon the Lord. I was in a place spiritually that I could handle adversity. I had grown my faith so deep that whatever God handed me at this point wasn't going to conquer me. Well, it's kept me from going to a meet in the fall. Even though I was scholarship, I was supposed to travel with the team, and I'd called the coach the night before a cross-country meet and said, can I just stay back? I have studying to do, and she said that was fine. My team drove to Drake University, and on their way, a truck ran a stop sign, hit our team van, which I was not in, and instantly killed Stacy Miller. I never once questioned my knee injury after that, not once. God doesn't always give us the answers to why we go through things. But if he does, you've got to understand he has a tremendous purpose for you. When Stacy was killed, she had already received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Her funeral was a celebration. And I am so thrilled she was part of a world record relay team. She had that opportunity before she died. Well, these were the ramifications of those days having a knee injury. My story started to become one of faith, of trusting in God for all that he did for me. So being set up well for adversity. For each of you, you're going to face adversity. You don't know what it looks like. It could be simply forgetting your lunch or it could be losing a loved one. It could be not getting into a college that you're set on. But let me tell you this, God has plans for every single one of you, but your spiritual life and setting yourself up well for the future is critical. When I had that knee injury ending my college career, I was at a place with God that nothing could be thrown at me that was going to alter my faith whatsoever. Um, so again, I was set up well. Through my faith, I had incredible opportunities. I prayed with Chris on a run at the top of a hill before I was hurt while we were in college competing together. We got to the top of a hill. She asked me about my faith, and we prayed at the top of that hill for her to receive Jesus Christ. My faith was being shown just in my everyday living. This gentleman I used to work with led him and his wife to Christ just because I had so much joy in all that God had provided me, for me despite my upbringing. Grant Wheeler, good friend. I used to have a ministry for high school students. Grant became a Christian. We prayed over a breakfast in Cedar Falls, Iowa, for him to receive Christ as he was a junior in high school. Grant became a godly man and influenced so many people for Christ through his beliefs. He was going to come up here to run Twin Cities Marathon. I had talked with him in the morning. He, meanwhile, went out and, and took his car out on a ride because he had put four new tires, and he wanted to test them to make sure they were fine before he put his family in the car, and they came up to the Twin Cities. While he was out in the middle of the afternoon, two guys, high on cocaine and alcohol, T-boned him because they were drag racing on a highway, killed Grant instantly. 
Grant was a huge pillar in the community. They ended up having a race in his name. But this is what's important out of Grant's death. I spoke at his funeral. Many people spoke at his funeral. There were only over 1,500 people at his funeral. And a young man from a small town nearby wrote Grant's, mom, Grant's wife a letter after the funeral. And the thing I want to point out in his letter is, right then I realized I did not, and this was talking about Christ, and I greatly needed to. I was also very much inspired by the stories of the family and, and Grant's God. Grant, his life led me to Jesus Christ. I can tell you that Grant would trade his life every day for one person to come to know Christ. That's the kind of man he was. This is a letter that shows of God's power in our world. So, today it's really foggy. If you were to fly on an airplane, you would get above those clouds and the sky would be blue. We have to get through the winters of our life. We have to support the winters of our life with a strong faith, a background that is unwaverable. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant for it for good in him to bring about the present result to preserve many people alive. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. This is heaven on earth. Our adversity has to be dealt with as a Christian to glorify God. He doesn't put us adversity in our life to wear us down. He gives us options to have outs from it. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains from whence my uh, help shall come. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. There is nothing else you can depend on in our world that will keep you grounded, safe, and joyful. Nothing no matter how much you own, no matter how much you achieve, at the end of the day, you come to the same conclusion. What is my purpose? And you want to wake up with purpose. Closure. So closure is a Disney version. I don't have closure on my mom's death, right? Because there's nothing else I can do to show my dad's innocence. Closure means involves finality. It's like if something happens, we need closure, it's over. But things are never over. Resolve, however, involves resolution of understanding that we may never know the whys. You may not get the answers that I got from that car accident. There's a lot of things in my life I haven't gotten answers to, but I do have resolve with them. I've given them to God. I've been able to glorify God through those events, and I continue to grow my faith so that any more adversity hits me, I'm ready to go. What happens when there's no resolve? It's a life of anger. It's a life of blame. It creates depression. I've already told you in depression what happens. You feel meaningless. Future generations, you pass that on to other people if you don't have resolve. Remember, the only feeling left in this loveless state is insignificance. You will never be insignificant if your life in Christ is growing on a regular basis. 
You will be able to get through the darkness, through the fog, if your faith is growing on a daily basis. So, how do I know this? I have a sister that's never gotten over the death of my mom. She had manchildism by proxy. She was making her child sick. She was arrested for embezzlement. She blames all of this on the death of my mom. These are her behaviors. This has nothing to do with the death of my mom. It has everything to do with not having a relationship with Christ. I have another sister married to an alcoholic. Her whole living involves alcohol. Again, what good is that to the eternal kingdom? When I make decisions of what I'm going to do, I say, what is the eternal value of this? So when you're watching an entire day of Netflix, at some point you have to say, what is the eternal value of this? Could I possibly grow my faith more? This is a person who was my mom's, her mom's, was my mom's best friend. This is a person that prayed for me diligently. When you say you're going to pray for somebody, believe it's going to work. I would be into drugs and alcohol and who knows what if people had not prayed for me. Again, Kelly, who passed away this past Friday, this is from her dad. She had such a bright future. She was so multi-talented, he tells people. There was so much about life that she enjoyed, and this was such a temporary setback that she couldn't see through. She couldn't see through the concussion, not feeling good. It's such a loss to the world and a loss to her that she's going to miss so many good things. She had so much to look forward to. Do you realize if I lived a life of anger, mad at the people that made me lie in court, mad at my aunt and uncle who raised at me because there was no love in the family, what good would that have produced? So the effects are resolved. You get hope, peace, joy, forgiveness, purposeful living, intentional living. Everything you do should be intentional. Investment in relationships and meaningful relationships. And why does that matter? Well, everybody's looking for closure. Supposed to create an attitude that it's over. Gives meaning to the why. Resolve is the answer, however, for all of life's events. Whatever you're going to do with adversity, you have to have resolve. It looks different for different people, but it's required. We don't need a Disney ending to it. The only resolve comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the only thing in our world that can give you resolve. So what do I get out of it? I get an incredible marriage. God blessed me with just a wonderful man. We've been married for 27 years. If I'd carry all that angst, I wouldn't have this. Also gave me amazing kids, two amazing kids. One's a junior in college and one is 23 years old or 25 years old. I got to coach my son in a string quartet. They were called Mike and the Apostles, Matthew, Mark, Peter, and Michael. Awesome group. My son let me coach them. My kids have had amazing opportunities all over the place, just been blessed with so much. And we continue to remind them it is God blessing them. It is God giving them these amazing opportunities. My daughter is in military school, just has had tremendous opportunities. Right now, as we speak, she's at the White House. We spent time together as a family loving each other. Our kids know what love is. We ski a lot as a family. We exposed our kids to great opportunities, but all in love and laughter. Again, having fun as a family together. 
If I bring this angst into my kid's life, they don't reach their potential. I hinder them. My kids let me train them in their sports. How crazy is that? An actual workout my daughter was in, she was puking on the track in the summer. And I told her to get up because it's easier to puke when you're walking. What kind of a parent does that? <laughs> and then she got right back in the next interval because there's a no quit mentality in our home. Again, a life full of laughter. If you can't laugh, you've got to fix something. You've got to be able to laugh at yourself. My kids laugh at me most of the time. So this is, this is our family. You don't see any anger. Okay? Of course, I wouldn't take pictures of them angry. <laughs> and if I had them, I wouldn't show them to you. But believe me, we live a joyful life. So, this is like Benjamin Button, the movie. My mom's death, I lied to do what was right. Home life was tough to the fall of no one, resulting in me in pushing me harder in academic sports and music. I earned a music scholarship. Couldn't play on the collegiate volleyball team. I know that's laughable now, but back in the day, I was an all-state volleyball player. I started running. Severely sprained my ankle, met the athletic tra trainer, won the 10K at Iowa College Championships. On ride home, I questioned my winning and success, called the athletic trainer, resulted in me committing my life to Christ. My junior year, I qualified for the Mid-America Championships, signed a track scholarship, went out for a run, hit by a car. Doctor on call wasn't the team doctor. They wanted me moved, so I had the team doctor. Because I had a concussion, they decided not to move me. His family became my family that I truly love. Their four boys were in our wedding. Can you imagine if I'd never hurt my knee, I would have never met this doctor. He was the one on call. That's not coincidence. This family, it, it means everything to me. They paid for my master's degree. When I was working on my master's degree, I went to pay the bill and the bill had already been paid. Unbelievable support. Through the polls, I played a lot of basketball, met the Heinz family. As a result of meeting the Heinz, went skiing in Colorado and met my husband. What are the chances? Went, again, I paid, my bill was paid. Um, they also brought food over me to my home and put it in my refrigerator on a regular basis while I was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials. If you pay attention, the piece of the puzzle has been crafted by God, who can place them where they go, or we can force them where they don't fit. You're not gonna have all the answers. You don't even get all the pieces of the puzzle. But if you rely on Jesus Christ and your daily living, it will set you up well. You will have adversity in your life, but you have a way out. This was written, so I, I had a long version on my Facebook page of the editorial I wrote for the newspaper. And this was a response from the person who led me to Jesus Christ. Praying for you today, friends, so thankful that our Lord called you out specifically in your family. I believe the enemy looked at you as a child and said he wanted you on the day your mom died. He was trying to take your future, in essence, to destroy you. But your heavenly father said empathetically, no. And I believe God declared this one is mine. I believe he reminded me, reminded the devil about the angel's declaration on the shepherds. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. That rescuer came to you in college and his spirit lives on and shines for you each day. 
So I declare with the angels that today is a date of rescue. Today you know in part, but one day all will be revealed. Your mom and dad already live in that future glory with complete peace. They are cheering you on. Keep fighting the good faith. Again, showing Christ's love on a daily basis. I am so thrilled that I came through all the adversity I had because if I don't, I don't have this family that truly loves each other and loves spending time together. I'm writing a book, hope to have it in done in July. The name of it is The Greatest Gift of All is Resolve. And the name of this came to me because when my son went off to college as a freshman to Biola University in California, he was a composer. And one of the first pieces he composed out there reminded me he would never hear the music if I didn't bring ang if I brought angst into our family, he would never hear the music. So they're going to play just a little portion of something he composed, I hope. Seasons of life, ecclesiastics. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and to, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, to gather them and embrace, and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning of the end. God has just blessed my life. I cannot emphasize that enough. And I am so fortunate to have put my trust in him. So what season are you in? In spring, growth comes after coming out of the darkness and a lack of clarity. Summer's heightened and peak growth. Fall reaping the joys of your labor. Winter, a time where things are not in a state of growth. Without the season, there's no additional growth. Sometimes these are the darkest days of our lives. And then we cycle back through spring. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. I love this verse because that's the verse I claimed on the day I accepted Jesus Christ. It, summer, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. You can't give up. Battle. Understand you've got a sword, the Bible, to help you get through anything. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God who gives rain in its season, both the autumn rain and the spring rain, who keeps us the appointed weeks of the harvest. 
Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. God has given us promises that we can rely on. People will let you down. Outcomes will let you down. But if you truly believe God is in charge of putting the pieces together of your life, your puzzle, life is going to go extremely well for you. And you, like me, are benefactors of having loving families, a great future, a great career. If you look for closure, you are looking for an ending that's going to cause you damage over a lifetime. Resolve the issues. Remember, God has every piece in his hand. Thank you. Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage, www.swchs.org. Click on Student Life and Encounter. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, keep your eyes fixed, not on speakers, teachers, or institutions, but on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith.